So this morning we are looking at Matthew chapter 6. Uh, the first six verses, and then we're going to skip down to 16 through 21. You'll find the words on the screen behind me if you've got them with you. Great. Before we read, let's pray. God, once again, we thank you for, for your word. And we humbly ask that, that you would speak to us, that we would hear, hear your voice. Open us. Make us uh, receptive. In Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew 6, starting at verse 1, Jesus is speaking here and he says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've already received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, Close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. We'll skip down to verse 16. When you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We will go that far. So, according to the church calendar, I started talking about it three weeks ago. It's been that while. It's been a long time. Uh, we are in the middle, right smack dab, in the middle of the season of Lent, what I think is one of the most, if not the most important seasons uh, of the entire year, according to the, the church calendar. So Lent started three and a half weeks ago on Ash Wednesday. As a reminder, Lent is an old English word that, that just means springtime. Uh, so we, now we call it Lent. But before it was called Lent, it was known by a Greek word that means the 40th day. What a boring name for a whole season. It's the 40th day season. But it was done on purpose because Lent is 40 days. 40 days long. But here's the deal. We kind of have to cheat to get to the 40 days. So we don't count the weekends, right? So it's 40 days long. 
uh, and it was done for a very important reason. So what I'm telling you, the lesson there is you can cheat as long as it's important and you make things work, right? No, that's not the lesson. But that's kind of how we, we make things work. So 40 days is an important number. It symbolizes for us uh, the 40 days that Jesus spent in, by the way, 40 is all over the Bible, all over. It's a, it's a significant number. So it's signif- it, it symbolizes the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness being tempted uh, by the evil one. Uh, it, uh, Noah and his family, with all those two-by-two two animals, were on the, on the big boat for how many days and nights? 40 days and 40 nights. Moses was up on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. We just did Jonah not too long ago. Remember how long he gave gave the Ninevites before it was going to be overturned? So 40 more days. You guessed it. 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned, right? The Israelites spent how many years wandering in the wilderness before God allowed them to go into the promised land? Any guesses? 40 years. So it's not hard for us to understand that there's this like waiting period, this this period before something significant happens where, where people prepare. So Lent becomes this idea of a season of, of preparation. Listen to this. Way back when, centuries ago, uh, before people could become a, a full member of the church, a bap- before they could be baptized, you know what they had to do? They had to spend each of the 40 days of Lent in a three-hour intensive class learning about Jesus and scripture and theology before they then could be baptized on the eve of Easter. Isn't that fascinating? Now, there's something about that that I'm like, whoa, that's really intense and awesome, and we should probably do that again, right? There's also a part of me that's like, oh my goodness, that's a lot, right? But there's this idea of preparation. So here's this other way that we can think about Lent is we try to get our heads around this idea of preparation. It's really a, Lent is a journey, not in the sense that we're literally going from one place to another, but Lent is about, it's about movement. We're headed somewhere. We're headed with Jesus to the cross, right? It's a journey that there's movement involved, and here's the key. We actually have a choice in the matter, The church creates this whole season signifying movement and we have a choice in the matter. Will you move or will you not? Will you take steps or will you just keep your feet planted on the ground where they are? No one's going to force it. This is like a a whole season of, of invitation to movement. And this movement is supposed to sort of encourage spiritual growth for us. It's this conscious decision, a whole season. It's a conscious decision to pay attention to the spiritual condition of our lives as we go together with Jesus to the cross and eventually Easter morning. See, there's ancient wisdom here that People need to be, the church says, the people need to be reminded of this year after year after year to just pay attention. There's this idea that before we can understand 
and fully, fully take in the joy of what the cross means for us and what the resurrection means for us, we have to sort of travel this road of self-examination and take intentional steps for movement as we journey through Lent. So what, what does the journey look like? Where do you start? How do we begin to create spiritual movement in our lives that results in, in growth? What's it like for us to live, really live life in intentional communion with the divine? Like These are all questions that we ask during this season because we need it. Well, one of the places we start is where, is where the church has often started. And it's this from Matthew chapter 6, year after year after year. So there's a few things I want to say about this. So Lent is a journey into a life of, of what we call discipline. It comes from the word disciple, learner. It's a, it's a journey into a life of discipline. Listen to, listen to what Jesus says here. We're going to skip around a little bit. Uh, so you can just listen. If you want to follow, that's cool too. So verse 2, Jesus says, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it. Verse 3, But when you give to the needy, skip down to verse 5, When you pray, verses 6 and 7 say the same thing. So when you pray, verse 16, When you fast, do not look somber. Verse 17, but, but when you fast, he's talking about this matter-of-factly, right? He says, when you give to the needy, when you pray, when you fast. Jesus is just sort of assuming that his followers, that Jesus' people, will be involved in these activities on a regular basis. He doesn't say, if you happen to find yourself giving to the needy, if you just happen to find yourself praying, if you just happen to fast, he's like, when you do these things, when you give to the needy, when you pray, when you fast, he's, he's saying, he's just assuming that his followers will be, will be involved in, in things like this. Now, this isn't by any means a, a large, huge, long, comprehensive list of spiritual practices, but Jesus is just assuming that we'll be intentionally engaged in spiritual practices that will help us sort of create movement towards growth, right? That will help us pay attention to our connection with the divine, right? He's, he's telling us, he's giving us advice from Jesus, straight from Jesus, on how to give us an upgrade in our lives. And this is something we're used to, people telling us that we need an upgrade in our lives. I have a, I have a, a spiritual practice for you to try. Um, well, first, I'm going I'm to talk about the Super Bowl. Um, how many of you watch the Super Bowl for the game? How many of you watch the Super Bowl for the advertisements? Advertisements? Hands? Game? Okay, more game than advertisements, but you stick around for the advertisements if you're watching the game, right? Because you want to see what crazy thing. I think this says something interesting about us. We, we actually don't mind it when people tell us that we need an upgrade in our lives. Like we, we're used to it. People tell us, you buy this certain thing, you wear this certain clothing, you, uh, you drive this car, especially the cars, the vehicle ones are nuts, right? You'll look exactly like them and people will love you and you, you will have an upgrade in your lives. That's all advertisements are. They're telling us, they're communicating to us, hey, your life isn't what it could be, but if you did this, it will be so much better. 
And we don't mind this. I mean, here's a spiritual practice. Spend the rest of today or maybe tomorrow and just keep a tally of all the advertisements that come at you during the day. Whether you're listening to the radio in the car or whether you're, you're scrolling through Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever, or you're watching television or you've got, you know, pay attention to the ads. Just keep a tally. Just keep a simple tally of all the advertisements that come at you. This is just the world in which we live, the water in which we swim. You won't be able to catch them all, by the way. You'll try. I've tried this, and I realize after a while, oh my goodness, I don't even realize that I'm, I miss a whole bunch of them. But we're still hearing these things passively as they come into our lives. And occasionally, we'll, we'll sort of listen to them, right? We'll be like, oh my goodness, I do need that. So we'll click on Amazon and we'll order it really quick because you don't even have to get a card out. You just one click and it's paid for, right? Boom. Or we'll head to Target or Walmart or, or whatever. Here's the problem that we have. We listen more carefully to advertisements that come at us telling us how to get an upgraded life, life than, we, than we pay attention to what Jesus says on the matter. Just keep a tally. You'll be astonished at how often these things come at us. Right? We, tend to push, we tend to push spiritual practices to the side in order to make room for, for all the other things and all the other voices telling us how to get an upgrade in our lives, how to make our lives better. So consider this this morning. Again, the church created a whole season for this. Consider this your advertisement from Jesus on how to get an upgraded life, how to get an upgrade in your spiritual life. Only here's the deal. It's not going to be easy. There's no one click. There's a, it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to cost all of us more than can be quantified in any sort of bank account. It means taking time for things like, like intentional prayer, scripture reading. It means considering what it, what it might be like to, to fast or to experience solitude or service or simplicity. But the more we discipline ourselves with these spiritual practices, here's what happens. We wind up listening less to those other voices in our lives that tell us this is how you get an upgraded life. Right? Store up for yourselves, Jesus says, treasures in heaven. So the journey of Lent is this whole entire season created for us to enter into a, a life of discipline. So that's the first thing I want to say. Here's the second thing. It's also a journey into a life of authenticity. It's a journey into a life of authenticity. Jesus says essentially this. When you give to the needy, when you pray, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites who do all of those things so that other people will notice and think, wow. Hypocrites. We all know what a hypocrite is, right? Someone who's, who's presenting themselves as someone they're not. Right? In Jesus' world, the word hypocrite, this is fun, I think. The word hypocrite was, a, was an actual word. A hypocrite is an actor on a stage. 
So like when you watch a movie and you're seeing actors, you know they're not really those people. They're just pretending. That's what the word is. It's an actor on a stage. And in Jesus' day, in the Palestine of Jesus' day, there were all kinds of theaters sort of dotting the landscape. And in fact, when Jesus was growing up, King Herod, uh, he constructed a big famous one not far from Nazareth where Jesus grew up. So it's actually possible that Jesus, as a young apprentice carpenter, may have actually worked on constructing this theater that was close to Nazareth where he grew up. So, so when he was talking about this word hypocrite, he was using this vivid word that everybody would understand. Right? Think of it like this. The people in Hollywood, they're all hypocrites. Literally, they're actors on a stage. I'm not calling them hypocrites. They're just actors on a stage pretending to be someone they're not. So he's saying these religious people that you see doing all of these things, they're just acting. It's not real. It's not authentic. They only care about what other people think about them. We know what this feels like, right? We all know what it feels like to, to present to the world something that we're not. Like we're shaped in this world to really care about what other people really think about us. So there's this sort of constant pull to sort of look better than we are, to be a hypocrite. But Jesus says, if you're not doing it for God, if you're not doing these spiritual practices for God to have communion with God, don't do it. Don't do it at all. Authenticity. Do it with authenticity, he says. Right? So let's think about authenticity. Really, it's an internal thing. It's a heart thing, right? It starts in here by looking at the things that we've done and by looking at the things that we do and why we do them and then just being honest about it. And that's not always easy. Because here's the deal. When we do something good, what do we want? We want affirmation. We want recognition. We want other people to see it. When we do something bad, that's really hard. When we make a mess of things, it's hard to take ownership of it because, well, we want to look good. We don't want to look bad. Authenticity is hard. So maybe what we should all do is have the attitude and be a little bit more like little children, like, like two and three-year-olds. And perhaps this is why Jesus said, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you have to enter the kingdom of God like a little child. Maybe it's this idea of authenticity that Jesus is getting at. Because a little two- or three-year-old, they haven't learned how to lie yet. Right? They're just this, this little, little raw piece of humanity, and they, they don't have a mask. They're just who they are. They don't know how to lie. They're just, it's just, you know, what you see is what you get. Right? I remember when Samuel was two or three years old. I think he was three. Uh, Renee and I were getting ready to have a, a group of people over at our house. Oh, we were actually hosting, it was the youth group, right? So we were, we were, we were hosting the, the high school youth group in our basement. We were going to have youth group. We, we sort of did that for a little while back then. Uh, so Renee made scotcheroos. You all know what scotcheroos are? This rice crispy, delightful yumminess with the chocolate goo on top. It's so good. So here's what we, we decided to do. I don't know why. Renee made this, this great pan of that, and we were going to share it with all the kids. So we put it on a table in the basement, and we went upstairs because we had a couple of other things that we wanted to do, and we left three-year-old Samuel 
in the basement alone with a pan of scotcheroos. Brilliant parenting move right there. So, after we finished what we were doing, we walked downstairs and we looked at the pan of scotcheroos and we noticed it wasn't huge, but there was definitely a swipe taken out of that chocolate. And so, we noticed that Samuel then had his face buried in the cushions of the couch because he knew, right? So we sit down beside him, and one of us says, Samuel, did, did you put your finger in that chocolate? And he looks us straight in the eye, and he goes, no. We're like, what? So Renee and I look at each other, and we're thinking, did he, is this his, like his first lie? Like, has he finally figured out how to lie, and who taught him this? Where did he learn this? So he said, Samuel, did you put your finger in the chocolate? Kind of upset a little bit. He goes, no, it was my tongue. (laughs) So good. He wasn't lying. He was being totally honest. Like, no mask, pure authenticity. He wasn't hiding a thing. He's like, yep. You caught me. I stuck my tongue in that, and it was good, right? And what did that do for us? Like that little interaction with a little three-year-old. It didn't, when he was totally and completely honest with us, when he bore his heart and told us the honest truth, we didn't, like that's way worse sticking your tongue in there than just putting a finger in there. We didn't get more mad. It just drew us closer to him. It made us love him more because he was real. He was authentic. He told us exactly what happened. And it was like, oh, because that's what authenticity does. Authenticity is a big, big deal. So God doesn't want us engaged in these spiritual practices so that that other people will look at us and be like, wow. God doesn't want us engaged in, in spiritual practices so that, so that we'll just feel better about ourselves or, or because we, we think we have to. Right? Don't hear this as a guilt trip. Like, if you haven't been engaged in intentional spiritual practices, maybe for a really long time, that's okay. It is what it is. It's why the church created a whole season to be like, we need reminding of this. So don't hear this as a guilt trip. Hear this as, a, as an invitation. God wants us practicing spiritual disciplines because, because God wants our hearts. God wants our real hearts. God wants us engaged in these spiritual practices, and there's wisdom behind these spiritual practices. Because when we engage in them and connect with the divine, something happens over a period of time. We are changed, molded, we are, we are made new. These spiritual practices are, are ways for us to, to commune with God, with the divine. And let me tell you this, there is no one in the world that God wants to be with more than he wants to be with you. The real you. Exactly how you've been made. There is no one in the world that God wants to be with more 
then God wants to be with you. Think about that, the real you. And that's true for all of us. So this journey through Lent is a journey through into a, a life of, of authenticity before people, before God. So right now, hear this as an invitation to just explore. We only have like three weeks left before Easter's here. Just explore what it might be like as we prepare for the cross, as we prepare to, to celebrate Easter together. Think, you might, think about how you might mark this with intentional spiritual practices. Like you get to choose whether or not you'll move. You get to choose whether or not, not you'll take a step. There's no forcing. So maybe you'll, maybe you'll explore what it might look like to fast, to commit to reading your Bible, to daily prayer, to regular acts of service, to, to solitude. Or maybe it's like, maybe you're like, I don't even know where to start. Just start with the Lord's Prayer. Pray it every day and pray it really slowly. Or maybe you're, maybe you're a learning type. You want to learn more about it. Pick up Celebration of Discipline. Here's a recommendation for you. Celebration of Discipline by a guy named Richard Foster. Like, get on Amazon and one-click that baby. Right? Just think about how you might mark the rest of the season of Lent through spiritual practices. Right? Let's pray together.